listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So Mick, we've got a continuation today from our uh, Soil Talk episode that we recorded earlier. Again, we've got Marie Krausnick and we've got Dan Leninger from the Upper Big Blue Natural Resource District. And we're going to talk some more about, you know, the issues we've got with uh, nitrate as a pollutant, but also some of the things that we've been doing to kind of limit that, do a better job of getting it into our crop. And and just Nebraska's history of natural resource districts and, you know, how we've got these different natural dist- natural resource districts associated with different river basins and how, you know, some of the issues in eastern Nebraska where we've got nearly 40 inches of annual rainfall versus western Nebraska where we might only have 12 inches of annual rainfall. A lot of differences there. You know, Nebraska is, is not just unique, but... Uh, our rainfall patterns across the state, east to west, are so variable. Uh, management of nitrogen is something that moves with water is different here versus versus as we go westward. Uh, but our soil types change it quite a bit as we go westward also. So there's a lot more to it than just moisture uh, annual rainfall. And we also still have the center pivot irrigation as we go westward. So... There's a lot to talk about, uh, Tim, today with the with these folks again, Dan and Marie. Uh, I want to start out with a question. You know, as somebody who's worked nationally in nitrogen management in the past, uh, I get a lot of questions about the NRDs in, in, that we have in Nebraska. And uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Whoever wants to answer that question, Marie. Uh, Dan's pointing at you, so <laughs> I guess you get to take the question. Right. You know, how do you how do we differ here in Nebraska than we do in other states? Nebraska, you know, is is the only state right now in the United States that is looks and manages groundwater by on a basin scale. You know, a lot of a lot of states have special purpose districts, which Nebraska had prior to the NRD system. Um, I think we had the Blue River Association, we had Fillmore County had their own groundwater management district. But when you look at it as a whole, as a basin, it made sense to try to consolidate those. Um, California is going through that right now. I know South Dakota, um, they've had people from the NRDs flying up, going to South Dakota, flying to California to talk about the NRD system and the system of local control. and because Nebraska is such a leader in groundwater management, you know, we are kind of the envy of the nation and managing a resource that we are blessed to have a lot of. You know, when we think about uh, those natural resource districts, you know, they seem to work very well together. And it seems like as you develop, uh, you know, guidelines, best management practices, regulations, what have you, um, you seem to do a pretty good job of, of uh, talking things through with each other. What, how often do you interact with the other natural resource districts? Officially, we have about three meetings a year where we bring all the NRDs from the, from the state together to, to share ideas, to learn about new research that's being done. Um, to talk about the different challenges that different districts are facing and the successes um, that NRDs are, you know, are fostering and, and promoting. Um, but through those three times a year, the networking, 
you know, being able to call up another NRD office and say, hey, you've had this challenge with groundwater nitrate, or you've had this this challenge, or you've looked at nitrogen stabilizers, you know, from what you guys have, have done, what have you learned? You know, it is, it is a wonderful system that I'm, I'm proud to be a part of. And Dan, I know you hold a lot of the educational events or kind of put those together for training the growers and, and good best management practices for managing nitrogen. What things do you try to cover in those events? Um, soil testing, uh, how to read a soil test, how to calculate your residual nitrate nitrogen, um, and to take take credits if you had a previous legume crop. Uh, and the, uh, uh, the idea of, of, of a, a realistic yield goal starting out with, and then to take, take your credits for uh, residual nitrate nitrogen and a legume crop from that. And that give, should give you a, a reasonable starting point for how much nitrogen you want for your yield goal. Uh, that, that's probably one of the big, the big uh, main things we, we talk about at the training meetings. And then we usually try to have another uh, speaker or uh, maybe a 20 minute video on, uh, on, from somebody else that's doing research on different types of in application, timing of nitrate of nitrogen, and uh, just trying to get them more aware of, uh, of what what's going on in the soil when it comes to nitrogen. Well, I don't envy you on trying to put together a training event like that because Mick and I would normally come to blows just trying to explain that to each other on how we're going to manage our carryover nitrate and how much legume credit we're going to give and, and whether or not we're going to try to do you know, 1.1 pounds of nitrogen per bushel or 1.2 as our starting point. That gets to be pretty complicated pretty quick. You know, and, and there's a, diff, a million different ways out there to recommend nitrogen and uh you know, different states have different recommendations. Kansas differs from Nebraska. Uh, Iowa is extremely different from what Nebraska and, and Kansas do. Uh, Illinois, the, I, the rest of the I states have their own methods. So uh, it gets to be a touchy subject. Yeah, I grew up in uh, southwest Iowa, and, and they pretty much realized that from all their trials, they couldn't predict the nitrogen need for corn at all. So they just gave up and decided that for corn on uh, soybeans, it's around 140 pounds of nitrogen. And for corn on corn, it's about 190 pounds of nitrogen. And forget everything else because the water, that the rainfall just blows the whole thing out of the water anyway, so you can't figure it out. Now, a lot of us here further west, we've we've decided that we can do something that's more yield based, and and that's how I normally will rec recommend nitrogen to a grower. But you know, just things as simple as that fall carryover number. So I hesitate to take all the credit for a four foot sample. I don't like that depth. I like a two foot sample because I'm not confident my corn's going to get to the nitrogen that right now is at three foot. I don't think it'll still be at three foot in July. I'd agree with you, Tim. You know, if it's at three foot today. By the time we hit July, if we have another spring like we've had in the past few years, it's not going to be, it's going to be below the root depth. Uh, you look at this year, how the root, the corn roots developed. We had this wet spring. These corn roots were lazy, just like we get. 
And so they sat there in the top 12 inches and didn't really get actively pulling until mid to late July when we really start seeing that nitrogen pull from or root activity from deeper than 12 inches. And the same thing true that, uh, you know, nitrate in the groundwater. I, I'm a firm believer that you should understand what's there and you should take some credit for it. But do you take credit for three inches or do you take credit for 12 inches? Well, I wish I could predict that one because, again, like you said in the last episode, Mick, I'd be on a beach. Exactly. <laughs> but it's a challenge, but it's something we've got to address and we've got, we need the growers to understand where we're coming from when we build these nitrogen recommendations and make sure they are accounting for all the things like a legume credit, you know, a guy that's got a really good stand of alfalfa that's going to terminate that, there's a hundred pounds of carryover nitrogen right there. Now a guy that's got a grassy stand of alfalfa that used to be alfalfa and now it's more of a grass hay there's not any nitrogen there. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. it, it varies, but you know, I think you're you're going down the right route by educating these guys. Help them understand where we're coming from. And, and we don't have it all figured out. But it's better than just guessing. Just doing it the way Grandpa did it probably isn't the right way to continue going forward. You've raised your yields, but we've also got a lot of previous application nitrogen. We've got nitrogen in the groundwater. When we do a good job of bringing in either cover crops or bringing in a, a good crop rotation, there's things we can take credit for that Mother Nature is going to help us out with so we don't have to make it all commercial nitrogen. Marie, you know, nitrate nitrogen in our groundwater isn't something new in the last five years. It hasn't something new in the last 20 years. Uh, a lot of things in, in the world today have, have focused on nitrate, nitrogen in our water. Uh, and there's a lot of different events we could talk about, but let's talk about where these, these nitrates came from. Did they come from the last 10, 20 years or is it beyond that? That is the question that is on everybody's mind. Um, and if there was a concrete answer, I could be sitting on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so many factors that play, there's so many factors that play into that, you know, and a lot of it is what, what's been going on on the land surface. Um, we were, we did, we had, did help sponsor a deep sampling study over in the Hastings area where they're having some nitrate contamination problems. And what when they when the professor that's doing that study at the university came and presented to our directors he alluded to the water that's being pumped today has been through that system three times so if you think of you know irrigation development in in the Adams County area is between 55ish or 60 you know you're looking at about that 20 year you know time but i've had farmers come in with their water samples this summer that have said, okay, well, I sampled this three years ago. I've been farming this farm for 10 years and I've been doing split applications. I've been using some stabilizers, those types of management things from their toolbox that they're already seeing their nitrate levels decreasing, you know, in those wells. So that, like I said, like you said, that it's the million dollar question you could go and poke a hole in one field and get one answer and you could go right next door and get a completely different answer. And, and I think a lot of that goes back to geology and, and different things like that. But uh, certainly we have seen other NRDs and other growers in within the upper big blue have success with managing their nitrogen and starting to see some decreases in those. Yeah. 
Yep, I think it's it's everything that's in a farmer's toolbox. It, it's not only nitrogen management, it's irrigation management, it's it's timing, it's technology, you know, it, it's all of it. You know, agriculture, it's a great time to be in agriculture because it's moving very fast. One of the things I talk to growers about is constant improvement, and, and that's an important part of we got to continue to improve our practices and and we all want to leave a legacy behind and and certainly every one of our growers within CVA territory wants to pass that farm on to to their children or grandchildren in better shape than what what we started out with you know one of the reasons that we got together today is is you know you guys had rolled out a, a new rule that you were looking at putting in some new regulations and and a lot of our listeners might not be from this you know this York area to fall under this NRD, but let's just talk about that a little bit. I mean, one of the things that you wanted was if you did fall applied anhydrous ammonia, which of course is the only form that should be a fall applied because it acts a little bit like a bactericide on its own. But if growers wanted to apply fall ammonia, you wanted them to use a nitrification inhibitor. If they were in your phase two and three areas, that was actually um, it was actually district wide. Okay, mm-hmm. that they want that the the board was trying to urge adoption of, of a nitrification inhibitor for all fall anhydrous mm-hmm. and all spring applied liquid and dry. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a kind of a misconception that was out there was, well, I'm not going to use an inhibitor with my spring anhydrous. That wasn't, that wasn't even on the table. Yep. You know, we understand that that anhydrous takes that extra time to break down and spring applications. You need that, that calendar time right, right. to do that. So, Mick, do you have a problem with uh, a nitrification inhibitor and fall applied ammonia? I think it's a no-brainer. I think it should be on any acre of fall application of anhydrous. Right. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm in that same boat that, uh, frankly, uh, slowing down the conversion of ammonia to nitrate. That's why we wait for cooler temperatures before we apply it. Putting another chemical in there that will help you uh, la- have a little longer um, time frame before that conversion of nitrate, it's still going to convert long before mid-June when we need it. So I don't have any problem with that one either. Now, I know um, a lot of growers um, have had some bad experiences with some of the products, which can be a little more corrosive. We have some new products out now that seem to be less corrosive. I, I think it's an area that we need to continue to go down. So I, you know, as far as that piece that you guys were looking at bringing in, i have a hard time uh, coming up with a big problem with it. I, I can't argue with it. Yeah. So, you know, your limit of the total amount of nitrogen that they could apply pre-plant, you were looking at 120 pounds. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and that was a number that, that the board, they, they bounced around a lot of different numbers, you know, in trying to set that. Um, this was not something that our board decided in one month that they were going to impose these proposed changes. They had talked about it for well over a year, you know, some of the water quality challenges that we have in our district, you know, um, they'd listened to speakers and looked at research and, and finally it had gotten to the point where it had been discussed and discussed and discussed. And they said, you know, we, we want the public's input on this. You know, we need to hear from those, from our farmers, you know, we've got, we've got a concern how can we how can we better manage our nitrogen to, to protect that groundwater resource? Um, and so then that's when they decided, okay, we're going to set it at 120 pounds. I don't know if there was a director out there that thought that that was going to be the final number, 
but it was at least conceptually we're going to to push towards split applications. Sure. And that split application, without a doubt, is the way to go. Now, it kind of goes back to a grower system. If a grower is heavily invested in anhydrous ammonia and spent some money on, on good equipment, especially if he's doing VR variable rate uh, nitrogen using anhydrous bar, I could see why he would want to be able to, especially in some areas, his better producing areas, put something a little higher than 120 pounds up front. But in the same respects, hard to argue with the idea that we need to be doing some split application and and taking a piece of that nitrogen that's going on before that crop is planted and putting it back when that crop is closer to needing that nitrogen. Your thoughts on it, Mick? You know, Tim, uh, we know that when that corn plant utilizes in, we know that we can be more efficient with that in. Uh, you and I d- discussed where that efficiency number is. Is it one-to-one? Is it seven seven tenths to one uh and i probably err toward pushing some nitrogen maybe past when i should i i've told guys i'd like you making one more pass at brown silk absolutely uh we know that that corn plant is still metabolizing nitrogen taking it up and utilizing it for grain fill and a lot of us forget about it certainly this industry is not built for removing all fall anhydrous unfortunately uh, at least for now. For now. Right now, the CVA is not set up for it. Neither are any of the other cooperatives in the in the United States. We cannot get by without that. We don't have the infrastructure. Uh, growers don't have the time right. to, to put on nitro- all their nitrogen in the spring and, and through the growing season. Of course, there was a time where uh, we didn't have the infrastructure to support every grower owning their own tractor, and we needed guys to stick with horses for a while longer. Exactly. So things do change. Things can change. So as we think about uh, that piece a little bit and pushing guys towards split application, Dan, do you do quite a bit of work with growers and trying to get them to do a little bit of fertigation and setting them up with a a pivot system that can handle fertigation or is that really fall under what your work consists of? Well, that would be, uh, uh, the technicians, mm-hmm. uh, that we have, uh, work more with that. Uh, I will say that I do help growers fill out their, uh, nitrogen use reports, uh, in the spring. I do help a lot of growers and almost, uh, everyone that split, that has gone to split application, Everyone uh, has said their yields have gone up Yeah, uh, to a man. They have said, everyone, our, our yields have increased. And, uh, uh, and so I think that's, uh, if, you can, if you can be more efficient with your nitrogen and, and get higher yields, I think that's uh, uh, kind of a no-brainer there. I couldn't agree more with that one either. As a guy, you and I have had this conversation, Mick, I, a guy will come in and says, you know, what do you think about boron? And I'll say, well, let's, let's just talk about your whole program. And the, his entire nitrogen program's full applied anhydrous. And I'm like, why are we talking about boron? Exactly. <laughs> it's just so yeah. obvious that we could split apply some nitrogen, gain some efficiency and gain some yield. Let's do that before we start headed down the path of things that we really don't have the confidence in that we have in split applied nitrogen. Too many times we, we look, we're looking for the easy button and the easy button's behind us because we're doing something wrong up front. Right and, there. And <laughs> There's the easy button. Quit looking for a different one. Exactly. Hit that one first. Let's yeah. hit that, hit that easy, easy button. <laughs> 
Well, it's about time for another uh, funny farm story, so we'll take a quick break. Mick, I hear you've got a good one for us today, so let's hear it. So, trying to keep track of which stories I've told and which ones I haven't, but helping a friend harvest and trying to wrap up in a final field, and, and I know we've talked about a final field before, but this one's a little different. It was it lies off of minimum maintenance road, and and the only way to get there is down a minimum maintenance road. And so we're going out to harvest, and of course I get to drive the grain cart because he's the combine operator. And we start harvesting, and it's getting dark, and it's starting to drizzle, starting to rain. And I make it up with a with a load, and because the truck's parked up on the main road and it's a half mile in. So I get, get dumped and I go back with the grain cart. Second load, he says, how'd it go? I said, it went just fine. Just as well load me full this time. Yeah, that's the famous last words. <laughs> Halfway up the hill, I slide the grain cart sideways on this minimum maintenance road and wedge it in the, into a, in between the ditches or walls of got her jackknifed in the middle got her jackknifed in there pretty good and so i call him on the cell phone and you got to realize this is in in the middle of nowhere and cell phone coverage isn't the greatest so i had to walk up the rest of the hill <laughs> to stand on top of the truck to get cell phone coverage and wait for him to get to the top of the hill in the field so that i could he had cell phone coverage and i said we got a problem and this was maybe one o'clock in the morning. And... Oh, you got to quit doing that. I, <laughs> I've worked too many times with you at one o'clock in the morning. You got to quit it. Exactly. And so finally we tried the pickup and that didn't pull the tractor out. And then we went and got, went over to the farm place a couple miles away and got the front wheel assist tractor. Well, that wasn't going to pull it out. And at about four o'clock in the morning, we both decided we'd had it. We had all the rest of the grain on the combine. The field was done. And he says, why don't you go home and rest for a while, and, and I'll worry about getting this out in the morning because we, we weren't going to call neighbors at that at 4 o'clock. So I went home for about two hours and took a little nap and went back. And at about 8 o'clock, we finally got the neighbor guy over with his big front wheel assist. And it not only took his front wheel assist, but it took two front wheel assist tractors to <laughs> finally get this thing unwedged from the mess that I had created from saying, ah, just load me a little fuller this time. So famous last words. Exactly. <laughs> you know, one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit. So I, I grew up in Western Iowa. We talk more about denitrification really than we talk about leaching what is it about Nebraska that seems like leaching to groundwater is more of an issue? I think what might contribute to it is over-irrigation. Yeah. If I, if I had to think of something that's somewhat unique around here, you know, we have a, we're, we're blessed with, with a good soil and good underground water both. A lot of places have one or the other, but we have both. And I think um, maybe a little excess irrigation, maybe it was some of the, a lot of the gravity irrigation before pivots. I'm thinking that might be a reason. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, that conversion of gravity to pivots was probably a good step in the right direction for limiting some of our leaching of nitrogen, but not all of it, obviously. You know, as we think about the, the cover crop solution, what percent of growers that you work with are actively using the cover crop as you go to look at filling out reports and stuff? Um, if, uh, this is a guess, but uh, 5 to 10%. Yeah, I, I would come up with a similar number. Maybe it's a little better for guys that are doing seed corn or guys that are chopping. Right. You know, guys chopping, well, obviously he's got use for forage, so he might be a little, and he's got a longer season there, and same with seed corn, but... There's been several years lately where there just hasn't been much fall um, growth, so a guy might get discouraged. But again, I always tell guys, it's you really got to give cover crops five years. One year just isn't going to do it. Absolutely. Uh, I I think um, sometimes uh, you know we don't need. It's beneficial to have a lot of above ground growth, uh, but uh, if we can get a living root growing out there uh that that's beneficial in a lot of ways uh i think some guys think well i'm not going to get very much growth so i don't want to mess with it but you know if you can just get something germinated and growing a little bit uh, having a living root out there is it is really going to help your biological activity in your soil we really take that for granted that biological activity i, I think i've seen a couple of studies where a lot of plants will put out 30 to 40% of the carbon that they produce through photosynthesis will actually go out as root exudates. And that becomes the food for our, our, our soil microbes. And if we can get another couple of months of that, you know, obviously once the soil's frozen, especially down to a, you know, a six inch depth, you're probably really gonna have very limited biological activity. But until then, you've got some opportunity that we're not taking advantage of with our traditional corn soybean rotation or corn on corn. And, and just the biodiversity that we get by bringing those additional species in, things like disease control, things like better water infiltration, you know, increased por uh, porosity. Um, there's some benefits in cover crop that are hard to put dollars to. And that's a challenge. I mean, again, growers, our, our farmers have a business to run. And that business is, is built around a P&L statement. You know, I've got this much in, in uh, income and I've got this much in expenses and here's what's left over at the end. And sometimes cover crops just look like an expense. But again, long term, there's some benefits that maybe we don't always catch when we just look at a, a short term P&L. What thoughts do you guys have, you know, as, as you're talking to our growers um, and our joint growers, both uh, belonging to the Natural Resource District, you know, within your guys' uh, area, and, and again, growers that are dealing with Central Valley Ag, how can we collaborate together better? You know, partnerships, you know, we are not, there is no NRD, I don't think, out there that wants to impose regulation. But we do have duties that, that we are charged in, in managing our groundwater resource. You know, having farmers that open conversations, you know, throughout all of our proposed rule changes, I have had more deep, great conversations with growers than I've had in the prior 15, 17 years that I've been with the NRD. Mm -hmm. um, I think if we can foster that dialogue and, and keep that moving forward, I think that will, will be great. I think that will increase, it will, it'll increase their understanding of, of the concerns that we have as a district and, and just as everyone who drinks water, 
and will help when it when it comes time to it, working with education programming, um, working partnering with you guys. You know, it seems like we align a lot, and you're there to help guys with with their profit and loss. But a lot of those things that you're asking the farmers to do for, to increase their profits also have a water quality benefit. Absolutely. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing that, uh, you know, as we work together with growers, we both have interest in research. That's why Mick does his innovation plots. Um, you know, Central Valley Ag is a supplier of agricultural inputs. You know, we want to supply the inputs that are going to result in the best farmer's profitability, productivity, but also limit the environmental impact. So there's opportunity for us to learn from you and us also to be driven in the products that we source based on what you and the growers learn together doing your research. Because, you know, if a grower comes to us and say, hey, we need more of this nitrification inhibitor and more of this urease inhibitor, we're going to get it for them. That's kind of our job. I mean, that's the co-op system was farmers banding together so that they could buy their inputs more economically and sell their grain at, at a higher price by dealing directly with, you know, food companies. We've got giant facilities of you know, where we store fertilizer, where we where we store grain, where we uh, bring in uh, seed and other inputs. We want to do the things that are going to be right for our growers and the environment they live in. That's that's one thing with growers, and that's one thing I really like about the Natural Resource Districts. You're local, and our growers are local too. They live in the communities where they're impacting the water. They've got a vested interest there as well. They're not just there to make the quick buck. Their, their families have been there for decades or even over a hundred years in some cases. So they've got a vested interest in all of us being successful in this together. You guys have any closing comments that you want to leave us with? I, I'd like to mention that uh, I, what, what you're doing uh, as far as your demonstration plots with nitrogen, I'm very impressed with that. I think that's, that's going to benefit a lot because I think our growers have a tendency to believe what you're doing over what an NRD would be doing. Uh, that's just, you know, right or wrong, good or bad. That's just reality. And if when you're when you're showing how to be more efficient in nitrogen, uh, that could really help us the NRD immensely. You know, I, I want to help a grower with return on investment, and uh, certainly one easy way to do that is is to improve efficiency of nitrogen use, and and so we continue to look for different ways. Uh, some of the products that we're testing, uh, whether it's the stabilizers, whether it's a product that's supposed to help corn plant fix at night its own nitrogen. Now, I've got one year of studies on that product. Am I going to tell my growers to go ahead and put it out there? No. I want three years of data before I start getting excited about it. But there is something to that if we can find that, that product to help us be more efficient with nitrogen. And we're all interested in a long-term relationship with our growers and, and understanding their system and, and bringing in products and services and and just an understanding better management practices that fit within that system and you know as we work with our growers i think we can all learn more from them about how we could better serve them absolutely you know and tim i you said something key there is each grower has a system and not every practice or product is going to work in that system and and we try to be mindful of that but 
we show at our innovation events, we like to show products that we feel comfortable or are going to be good for systems. And then we try to learn where, what systems those fall into. You know, if the, if the weather was the same every year and the producers all did the same thing, this would be a piece of cake. But just yeah. like you said, it's, it's just, uh, the weather's unpredictable and you've got a lot of farmers out there that, that they're all different. And, and so that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, you know? it is, but it's our job. I mean, it's our job to work with each grower's uh, individual system. And again, a guy's got livestock, guy doesn't have livestock. Huge difference right there. Um, it's our job to work in that system and, and help them, again, be as efficient and profitable as, as they can be. And, you know, we try to always increase yield. I mean, both Mick and I enjoy working with the yield contests and pushing yield as hard as we can. But in the same respect, we've got to be efficient with the inputs we put in there. So at the end, the bottom line is still in the black and as, as good as it can be. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap up again this episode of Soil Talk. Marie and Dan, thank you very much for joining us. We're happy to have you on as guests for uh, the Soil Talk uh, podcast, but also we're happy to work with you guys going into the future. Thanks a lot, Mick yeah. and Tim. This has been a great experience and, and yeah, it's been, this has been fun. I, I didn't know quite what to expect with the podcast. This is my first one. But Tim and I are always fun. <laughs> so thanks for giving us the yeah. opportunity. Thank you. You bet. So if you're interested in more information about the Upper Big Blue Natural Resource District, you can check out their website at upperbigblue.org or see them on social media at, at UBBNRD. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf and Mick Yoder. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our precision-focused blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf.